The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Let's get to Jack McIntyre. Jack is the global portfolio manager at Brandywine, who joins from Philadelphia. Thanks for being with us, Jack. It was all about the Fed, obviously, today. A lot of volatility in markets. I think participants are struggling to make sense of what they're hearing. One moment, uh, Powell suggests, hey, you know, we've got a long way to go before we're done. And next breath, he seems to suggesting, hey, we might be near the end of the tightening cycle. There is so much tightening that's already occurred. Uh, let's not forget, right? I mean, we've taken the Fed funds rate, or the Fed has, from near zero to around 4.5% right now. Are you of the belief that, you know, the kind of the classical thinking here, long and variable lag, are we still expecting a lot more um, negative impact from, from higher rates, or is that less clear now to you? So, you know, I, I'm in the camp that there's been a tremendous amount of cumulative tightening of financial conditions. You know, we talk a lot about uh, Fed funds, the policy rate, but there's been a tremendous amount of, of tightening in other areas as well. So, yeah, I kind of was thinking that the, the statement might kind of infer that uh, as opposed to ongoing, they might say additional rate hikes, something to kind of send a message that they were getting a little bit closer to the end. But I still believe that's going to be the case because I think the economic data is going to take us in, in that direction. And I get it. You know, the, the Fed and Powell in particular, they they don't want equities to go, be off to the races and those sorts of things. They want to make sure inflation is definitely not just rolled over, but declined pretty meaningfully. Mm. Um, but I expect to see that uh, earlier next year. Where do you place the risk of over-tightening? Well, it, so it is elevated because I, I say it's elevated because as the Fed focuses uh, on the employment market, then they and that's their you know their their primary focus and rationale for tightening. Uh, then I think the odds of going into a recession are elevated. You know, historically, anything around the labor market is a lagging indicator for the overall economy. I feel as though this cycle, it's going to be an extra lagging indicator because we know that companies struggle to find workers and they're going to do everything they can to not uh, let workers go until they get real clarity that things are slowing down. But away from that, uh, you know, we've seen signs of um, decline in inflation. But um yeah, if that's the primary focus, the Fed, they're going to overcook it and we're going to uh, increase the odds of going into a recession. Yeah, wage inflation, I think, is, is still an issue. You mentioned the labor market is very tight. I'm wondering whether we're not, and when I say we, I'm thinking of markets more broadly, whether we've underestimated the way in which the economy has been transformed, even before COVID. 
to step in and do as much as the Fed did, and then to realize that the technology that was available to American businesses, away from services, I get travel, I get airlines, hotels, right, but there were so many other businesses that were embracing technology that didn't, um, or that allowed them to continue to be productive. And I understand that the housing market has suffered badly as a result because it's very interest rate sensitive, but maybe the economy is shifted and we are a little bit less interest rate sensitive right now. Is that at all a possibility? Yeah, that certainly is a possibility. Uh, just as though you know we're less sensitive to the increase in, in oil prices as well. Um, but you know, eventually they will have an impact because and uh, Powell and I think the Fed in general has been very good about the roadmap, knowing that hey, things around goods are going to see deflation. Eventually, we're going to see uh, housing service inflation decline, and then the core service is going to be the last uh, thing that will we'll see decline. Um, but if we see weakness in those other sectors, then I think that will funnel through into service sectors as well. Again, this is very big picture long term, but you will see more investment in automation, robotics, et cetera, mm. those sorts of things, uh, as well as because of this, because of the, the shortage in, in labor. Nearer term in the next couple of quarters, what, what sort of pressure do you expect these sustained high rates to be having on balance sheets, earnings and consumer confidence as well? Yeah, I think uh, uh, all of those factors uh, as well. It's, uh, you know, we've been positioning our portfolio, adding treasury duration uh, in the portfolio as an offset of that, because I think that the the tightening of financial conditions that we've been talking about increase the odds of the, the economy slowing down. And, the, you know, again, the Fed is very committed to making sure that they break the back of inflation. It's just seemingly when you put everything together, it's hard to come out of this with a soft landing uh, in here. And I think that certainly is going to impact, um, you know, what we see on the, the corporate sector as well. Well, the Fed doesn't seem to be there yet. I mean, in the summary of economic projections, they're looking at positivity in 2023. If you have to go offshore right now, though, Jack, if you have to look to maybe areas in Asia to put money to work, are, are you less inclined to be exposed to the U.S. given everything you described? I mean, I understand you're being a little conservative here looking at the bond market, but if, if you need to capture a better yield, do you go offshore and, and chase equities there? Uh, I, I would do that, and we are doing that in terms of our bond allocation as well, because I actually think what we're seeing is as the U.S. slows down and the end, what we've talked about, the odds of recession increase, but look at what China's doing. Uh, China is actually doing the exact opposite. And I get it. This is going to be a bumpy transition as they move away from COVID. It's going to be some version of two steps forward, one step back. But if you extend your time horizon, and it's very similar to what we did in the spring of 2020 because of the uncertainty around COVID then, but they're injecting more stimulus and we have a more favorable view uh, of China. So the point being is that I think you're going to see a shift in relative growth. North America led by a slowdown in the U.S., but then Asia actually starts to get a little bit more traction led by China coming out of that. I think it's got, per, uh, personally, it's got huge U.S. dollar implications. It's going to drive the dollar lower. It's going to push capital more into Asia. Uh, and also, I think, in uh, Latin America, some of the higher yielding markets as well. And then eventually, even Europe. Do you have a sector-specific approach to China, considering how enthusiastic regulators often mm -hmm. tend to be there? So, you know, interesting. You know, I'm talking very constructively on China, but we don't have a direct allocation uh, into China. 
Because, uh, again, I, I don't want to own their bonds uh, if they are opening their economy. Uh, the currency is interesting, but I think there's other ways to be positioned to benefit from China's uh, sort of uh, potential you know, uptick as they move away from COVID. Uh, and that's just more in Asia uh, currencies and, and Asia equities in general in our world, Asian, the higher, some of the higher yielding uh, bond markets in Asia as well. Jack, always a pleasure. Thank you for spending time with us and uh, sharing your perspective on uh, price action in markets, not just here in the States, but in uh, the pack rim as well. Jack McIntyre is Global Portfolio Manager at Brandywine. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.